welcome to Patio Talk Podcast, where we believe everyone has a story. And we want to hear it. We're your host. I'm David. And I'm Cindy. We're so glad that you joined us today. We're going to talk a little bit about love because when this episode drops, it's dropping on... Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day. Yay. Happy Valentine's Day to all our listeners. Some of you might not think that that's cool, but that's okay. Some do. No matter where you are, we wish you the best day. Absolutely. And if it's not a great day, do something to change it to make it a great day. We're going to talk about love. For just a few minutes, we do have a guest, and we can't wait for you to hear her. But before we get into that, we are going to talk about love. So I have a quote here from an author named Timothy Keller. From It looks like from his book, The Meaning of Marriage. Facing the complexities of commitment with the wisdom of God. Marriage. Marriage. So it says, To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. I just thought that's really good because when it says, to be known and not loved is our greatest fear. That's very true. We all want to be known in some capacity. Yeah, everyone wants to be known. Everyone wants to be loved. So to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. Do you need a new mattress? If you do, and you've been shopping around, you know how expensive it is to get a high-quality mattress that you will be happy with for years to come. This is where Allswell comes in. The Allswell features hybrid mattress technology, combining the best of both worlds, memory foam, and individually wrapped coils for a winning blend of comfort and support. Allswell mattresses are compatible with box springs, platforms, adjustable, and slatted bed frames. And you can even try it for 100 nights risk-free. If you're not satisfied with the sleep you're getting on one of their heavenly mattresses, simply ship it back. Plus, every one of their mattresses comes with a limited 10-year warranty. When it comes to purchasing an affordable mattress without sacrificing quality or luxury, Allswell has everything you need for that Instagram-worthy bed. Now, if you'd like to get free shipping on your first purchase with Allswell, simply follow the link in the show notes to let Allswell know that we sent you and to help support the show. All's well. Entry-level price, high-level features. So we just heard about all's well. So now let's learn how to love's well. Ooh, I like that. Let's do it. Every day I love you more and more. You will forever be what I adore. (laughs) How about that? Yeah, nice. You are God's masterpiece, the crowning achievement of all creation. That was really good. That was really good, yeah. So, hey, how did the phone propose to his girlfriend? I don't know. How did the phone propose to his girlfriend? He gave her a ring. (laughs) One, two, three. Before you, I just floated aimlessly through life like a ship without a captain lost at sea. But now everything is so much simpler because I have purpose. I have a goal to give you a wonderful life. How about one more, Cindy? You are the light of my life, the source of my joy, and the whole of my heart. I hope you know CPR, because you take my breath away. What did one boat say to the other? What? Are you up for a little romance? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. You guys are welcome. I'm bringing the funny and the laughter to the show this week. She's here all week. She's here all week. Oh, Oh, here's one, honey. All right. What do you got? Do you think skunks celebrate Valentine's Day? Oh, come on. Do we got to go with skunks? (laughs) Sure. They're very sentimental. Gross. We do not. That's a story for another day, listeners. Oh, come on. We can tell it now. Uh, Valentine's Day, what, four years ago? Around, Around Valentine's Day. It happened a week or two before. Oh, yeah. We got skunked. We got skunked, literally. We did. Like, not in a basketball game or a football game or anything like that. I mean, like, yeah. we got literally skunked in the house. It was under our house and sprayed and smelled like someone backed up with a dump truck full of rotten eggs and garlic and onions. It was so gross and traumatizing. I did find humor in it, though. Do you remember the uh, Valentine's Day card that I got you that yes, year? Yes. I didn't really think it was that funny because of what we were going through. And now I think we still... Tell everybody what the Valentine's card was. It was something about with Pepe Le Pew. Yeah. Yeah. 
Good grief. Probably that same joke about being sentimental. Probably the same one. (laughs) Exactly. But yeah, we got skunked under the house and the uh, heat came on. So the central unit came on and it blew all of that throughout the entire house. It's similar to your house, maybe catching on fire, maybe getting a fire in the kitchen and the smoke filling up the house. And now everything smells like smoke. That's the way it was with the skunk smell. It was ridiculously crazy how much skunk smell we had in the house. We had to have everything taken out of the house, cleaned. The company that did it for us actually said it was just like a fire job, like if you had a fire in your home. Enough with that, but yeah, we got skunk. So make sure everything's closed up tight underneath your house and your air conditioning unit and everything is sealed up good. Lesson learned there. Yeah, we squirreled again. We skunked again (laughs) that time. Said squirrel. Yeah, we skunked. Yeah. Yeah. So, hey, um. Let's get into who we have on the show. Before we do that, we want to give you one more thing about love. But the reason we want to do this is because the story you're going to hear today is unconditional love. And sacrificial love. So in today's episode, we are sharing Ashley's story and really a little bit of Ashley's family in general, their story that they're experiencing currently. And it's really a great example of unconditional love and and sacrificial love. For sure. And so... As we lead into that, I wanted to play this video that um, talks about love and what that looks like to a lot of different people. Uh, The video uh, you can find on YouTube under Room in the Inn, Valentine's Day 2020, if you want to watch it. Uh, If you're not familiar with Room in the Inn, it's an organization that works with the homeless. So they interviewed some of their their guests, and we just wanted to play that for you as we move into listening to Ashley's story. So here we go. What love means to me is sharing, being able to talk to one another regardless of what the situation may be. I think the love is just comparing and sharing and uh, showing uh, a relationship to one another. Caring. You know, someone that, you know, someone cares about you, someone who is willing to make sacrifices. Love, I think, means to me the care and compassion that we have for our fellow human beings. Complete acceptance, generosity, and caring beyond any comprehension that you may have. When I think of the word love, um, I think about people that are in my life who I can't imagine my life being positive if they were not a part of it. To me, love is when you care about somebody else's feelings and emotions just as much as you care about theirs. Um, I think the world is full of love. Love for our neighbor, love for our fellow man, and love for ourselves. Welcome, Ashley, to our patio. Hi, Ashley. Hello. It's great to have you on here. So to tell our listeners a little bit about our guest today, we have Ashley with us. Ashley and I met at a previous place of employment. Um, I think we quickly became kindred spirits, and you were my work person, kind of my work sister. Definitely. I left a little over a year ago, and I've missed you like crazy, So, but we've been able to stay in touch, and that's been awesome. That's one great thing about social media is you can't stay in touch when you're not around someone every day. That's true. Very true through texting and social media. still feel like we're active in each other's lives. Hopefully you feel that way, too. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely keep in touch with you. More than other people I've previously worked with. Well, good. I feel privileged. I really do. So we're going to do a quick round of getting to know Ashley. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. Okay. Introvert or extrovert? Oh, introvert. Yeah, I knew that already. (laughs) That's why we're kindred spirits. Marvel or DC? Marvel. Yeah, knew that one too. I love it. Who's your favorite superhero and why? Ugh, that's a good one. Captain Marvel. Very Uh, nice. She can do everything. Everything. <laughs> She's on my favorite plate that nobody else gets to touch at home. Oh, nice. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. So what book are you currently reading? Oh, Origin by Dan Brown. I knew you would be reading a book. I knew you're an avid reader. What is your... Oh, speaking of that, I have a book I borrowed from you that I need to give you before you leave today. I completely forgot about it. <laughs> I did too until just this moment. What is your most used emoji? Oh, facepalm. Mine too. Yeah, mine too. Your favorite football team? Oh, Auburn Tigers, of course. Yes. <laughs> At least it's not the other Alabama team. Where oh. David might not let you sit here with us. Okay, I wouldn't either. <laughs> nice. There's the patio pups. <laughs> yeah, I hear them. So, Ashley, where were you born? Montgomery, Alabama. Is that where you grew up? 
It is just south of the town I grew up in. Okay. Tell us about your family and how you ended up here in the great state of Tennessee. Well, um, I have one sibling. Uh, brother, he's three years younger than me, and okay. he's in the Air Force. Um, he's currently stationed in Virginia. What's his name? Mark. Mark, thank you for your service. <laughs> we appreciate it. Um, my parents were in Alabama all of my life and have moved up to Tennessee very recently to live with us. Um, I am married. Uh, this year will be our 17th anniversary. Better get it right in A case long you listen. <laughs> A very long time. Um, and we have two kids. They're 15 and 12. Almost a driver in the house. Yeah. They're good kids. Um, you know, we have a lot of fun with them and, you know, they're very well behaved outside of the house. So that's always good. That's all you can ask for. (laughs) Yeah. Are you saying that they are very well behaved with other people, but they're challenging for you? Or are you saying they're very well behaved all over? They're well behaved all over. You know, they just have sibling arguments and attitude and. That kind of thing. So how did you end up in the great state of Tennessee? Well, um, after we had Elle in 2007, um, I had taken a break from college just because we had some some problems at the beginning of the pregnancy, and it kind of turned into a four-year break instead of a semester break. Um, And his parents were very anxious that one or both of us finish our degree, and they at the time lived up here in White House, Tennessee. And offered um, for us to come move in with them and I could go back to school. So we pretty much lived with them rent-free for three years so I could finish my degree. Nice. And all the time you were working full-time job, right? Yes. So we stayed with them in White House and I drove to Clarksville uh, to go to Austin P. So for the first year, I drove to Clarksville in the morning to go to class. I drove from Clarksville to Hermitage to work at the Publix there. And then I would drive home and I would do it all again the next day. Okay. So just to give folks... um, some time frame of what that's like. Um, so going from White House to Clarksville is probably 45 minutes to an hour. Yeah, it was about closer to an hour. And then from Clarksville to Hermitage. So 45 minutes. 45 minutes. And then Hermitage to White House. About 45 minutes. So you're looking at about two and a half hours on the road. Yeah. A day. Yeah. Almost every day of the week. It was All a lot of being married and yes. raising two kids. Yes. That's tough. It was tough. Yeah. It was worth it, though. You know, it flew by. No wonder your superhero is Captain Marvel. Yeah. <laughs> she can relate. She can do it all. <laughs> yeah. That's really good. Very nice. So. So as you guys know, as listeners of the Patio Talk podcast, we've told you that we have three main ideas and we're going to talk about. Number one was going to be family. And the reason Ashley has agreed to come on with us today is we're going to talk about family. And in particular, we're going to talk about aging parents. And then uh, you're going to hear Ashley's story and what's been going on in her life. Ashley, it's your story. How would you like to tell it? Well, I guess we'll just start kind of at the beginning of the timeline. I think that'll probably be the easiest. Um, Just so people have an idea of sort of the ages involved here. I'm 34. Um, My brother is 31. My mom is 61 and my dad will be 61 in May this year. Um, about seven years ago, this is actually the beginning of the timeline when people ask me when this started six or seven years ago, my dad was let go from his job. He had started having some memory problems, um, headaches, constantly tired. And he worked for a company who sends jets overseas and repatriates citizens when they're sick. So, um, obviously, you cannot have a mechanic who is having memory problems work on jets Obviously, that are, right. are, you know, going to be carrying people. There's a high liability there. So, over the next probably two years, he was still in a little bit of a state of decline. He could still do just about everything but find a job. Because he was honest on his applications. Nobody wanted to hire him. Right. Um, but he could still work around the house, work on cars. He could drive. Um, but slowly, little things started to come out that we hadn't known about. So my parents lived in a city called Private, Alabama. It's about an hour south of Birmingham. Dad drove to Birmingham to work. 
We find out that dad had been using a GPS to get to work and home from a job that he had been working for years because he could not remember how to get there and back on his own. So let's see. He was let go from his job in April of 2013. So it's been almost seven years. Initially, he started seeing a neurologist in Birmingham at University of Alabama, Birmingham. Um, and that team's been great to my my parents. Initially, through the first three to four years of this, they were calling what he had um, just a cognitive issue, really, mm-hmm. like a non-progressive cognitive. So non-progressive cognitive disorder. Well, eventually we ended up getting the Alzheimer's label for dad. Um, just from his, the progression in his brain scans over like a five-year period, they could see that the shading was starting to look like Alzheimer's and the decline was starting to look like Alzheimer's. So for us, it's been a little strange and probably a little bit of a different experience from families who have older members that just because of age have fallen into dementia and or Alzheimer's. Um, Dads, they don't think that it is genetic. It doesn't run in our family as far as we can track. Um, Dad had extremely severe sleep apnea, and it damaged a large portion of his brain. So they're theorizing that the apnea caused this damage to his brain and maybe just triggered whatever it needed to trigger to start acting like Alzheimer's. Sleep sleep apnea, they they believe, is what started it. Yes. Yeah, it was really bad. I don't remember the exact numbers when he went to have his sleep study, but it was like 20 to 25 seconds of every minute he wasn't breathing in his sleep. Oh, wow. And because it had been happening for such a long period of time, Um, It's likely that it was going on, you know, a year and a half, two years before he even, my timeline started, like in in April of 2013. So, you know, it could have been as early as 2011 that all this So it wasn't sleep apnea that he was aware of before finding out the diagnosis of Alzheimer's, that they put that together? Is that Well, the Alzheimer's came years later, um, but... Initially, yeah, when they went to the neurologist, they were like, well, we need to figure out what what is going on. His, you know, the symptoms then were he was always tired, waking up with headaches. He was having memory problems, that kind of thing. So they had him do a sleep study, and um, that's when they found the apnea. And so basically they, they just kind of had to piece it together from there that he had just had the damage to his brain because he wasn't breathing in his sleep. That's the first time I've ever heard it not be like a genetic or, like you said, an older kind of fall into it as you age. Right. Um, And even like early onset, it just, for us, it was completely different than even that um, because it wasn't genetic. It wasn't something that was expected at all. It just kind of came out of nowhere. So, um, you know, mom and dad sold their house. They got a smaller one closer to town so that they could be near everything. Um, when you say closer to town, I, I just want to kind of go back to this. You said your dad drove from where they lived south of Birmingham to Birmingham. He was using the GPS. Mm-hmm. When you say closer to town, was that their town that they're living in? They they moved from like maybe out in a rural area. Yes. Was do you know was he was he using the GPS to get from the rural area they lived in to? The town that they lived in, not Birmingham, but the town that they lived in. Is that something he was doing? I think that it it was something that he was doing. Um, I only know specifically about the Birmingham thing because we were all extremely shocked by that. Like, none of us had any idea that that so was happening. how did you guys find out that he was doing that? I think mom just found out. I think she pulled his GPS up out of his vehicle when he couldn't drive anymore. And it was just programmed and she had asked him. Wow. Why do you have your work address in the GPS? Like, yeah. I, I was using it to get get to work and to get home. And we were floored. We had no idea. Well, let's go back a little bit. You, When you first found this out, so you, you're 34 now. Yes. 
when you first found that out, that your dad was doing it, how old were you? 29, 28, 29. Wow. Yeah. It's tough to hear when, I mean, it's it's tough to hear any time. Yeah. You you know, one day you're going to face your parents aging, but you don't anticipate that until much later. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was, you know, we didn't get the official Alzheimer's label until I, I think it was about three years ago when they finally said, okay, it's acting like Alzheimer's. The progression is exactly like Alzheimer's, so we're going to go ahead and we're going to deem this Alzheimer's, and that's we'll move forward with the treatments based on that. So what what do treatments for Alzheimer's look like? Really, it's it's medication. It's a lot of medication. Um, he was on some medication at first, and I, I can't remember exactly what, what he was on, but there was one that they really wanted to get him on for um, brain stimulation, because there's no actual medication that can slow or stop the progression of Alzheimer's. All it really does is uh, try to improve the symptoms, get your brain um, to act, you know, to be more active so that you can function on a daily, you know, level. So when we finally got the Alzheimer's diagnosis is when they started him on a new prescription that we couldn't get before he was deemed as having Alzheimer's. So um, this past year in June, dad took a really, really big step back in his condition. Um, The deterioration just went really quickly. And that was one of the things I had been telling mom for years at this point. Like, please just come move in with us. It was completely out of place of selfishness because my brother and I are the same worriers. All we did was worry about mom and dad. Because we'd been away from home for a very, very long time. So until September of this past year, mom had been doing all of this by herself pretty much. And also still working. Mm. So in June, um, he declined very rapidly. And it was very obvious that he could no longer be by himself in the house for any amount of time. Like it wasn't safe for him. It wouldn't have been safe for mom for anything. So... Mom was able to go on FMLA, and during her time off, she took a couple of months off on FMLA and made the decision that she needed to retire. Like, this was this was it. This was the end of him being able to be independent at all. So we moved them up here with us, and they moved into our house at the beginning of September. That has to be a huge adjustment for you and for your family and for your mom. Yeah. To your dad at this at this point when you decided to move he when you decided to move him here how how did he take that I don't know that he was really he's really cognizant enough to separate their home in Alabama from our home here so he just knows that like <clears throat> with Alzheimer's patients especially once they get to a certain point like a certain stage one person that has been in their life for as long as they can remember, is their beacon. So if mom is there, then that's where he is. And like, it's moment to moment for him. So on occasion, the first couple of months they were here, he would be like, I want to go home. And mom would say, well, this is our home. You know, we live here with Chris and Ashley and the kids, you know, we're all going to be here together and we won't, you won't have to go anywhere. You're going to stay here with us and we're going to be with you. And that would usually calm him down. Um, So for him, it's not there's not a whole lot of awareness, really, um, where he can distinguish between when they lived in Alabama and them living up here. And how about your mom? Um, you know, I, I think it's, we've talked a lot about how this is not what anybody wanted, obviously, um, any of it at all. But it's what needed to happen. It's what was supposed to happen. Like, my family needs my help. I have the room. Like, Please come up here and it's like decision made done. So um, I think I can tell a gigantic difference between how mom was when we would visit in Alabama and how mom is now, because now she has physical and emotional support on a daily basis to, I don't know, I'm sure it's helped her keep her sanity for sure. Because, you know, as much as you love somebody, 
having to provide like around the clock support is very draining emotionally and physically. And especially when you're the, the same age as that person, you know, my parents aren't young, spry people anymore. Like mom can get up and around just fine, but it's still a lot for her to physically have to help dad do everything. But yeah, I can tell a huge difference in her health, physical and mental from being up here. So while it can be stressful, just like any family's house can be stressful, I, I, it's definitely been a lot healthier for her to be up here with us. Yeah, just having that support, I think, is would have to be a huge um, burden lifted for her, even though she's still taking care of your dad. Mm-hmm. But just having you uh, and then having uh, Chris there uh, it has to be. I mean, I know physically, if you're having to help someone physically and you talk about the age I mean, it, it's it's taxing on your body to do that anyway. Yeah. So I know that that has to be, it has to be uh, helping her probably greater ways than, than we can imagine. Well, Definitely. sure. I'm, uh, now she probably doesn't feel alone because she has you and, you know, your family. They are supporting and cheering them on and giving her breaks when she needs them. Yeah. And I'm sure the grandkids bring a lot of good joy for her as well to kind of help on those tougher days. Yeah. And the thing with kids is, you know, unless they're an outlier, I guess, kids are super resilient and they're full of energy. And our kids have responded so, so well to this change. Like we, Kyle was in a room downstairs when we made the decision that Nana and Pop Pop are going to be up here with us. We got his room cleaned out and we fixed up the bonus room over the garage for him and he's cool he's in his own little space <laughs> away from everybody um probably which really he probably loves yeah, yeah 15 probably, really <laughs> probably 15 yeah <laughs> so but you know they're they're just great with him and with helping mom they just hop in whenever they see that mom needs help with something or if pop pop's maybe wandering off somewhere or maybe we forgot to lock a door um and he's about to go take a walk you know, they're good with jumping in and just helping out wherever they can. That's that, good. That is so interesting to to think about. And just can you elaborate like what you're having to do with locking doors? Um. Well, we haven't done any major physical changes to the house. Basically, where we're at at this point is trying to make sure that he doesn't wander off if somebody looks away for two seconds. So we make sure that we keep the front and back screen doors locked. So we have the screen doors and then the main doors. They're usually all locked, but definitely the screen doors we keep locked just in case he decides he wants to go go for a walk outside. He does not like, he's like me, he does not like the cold at all. So as soon as he touches that screen door, he's like, nope. And he'll turn around and walk right back into the house. <laughs> so during the winter, it's not, not nearly as big a concern. Um... He can get a little stir crazy, but mom's pretty good about trying to make sure that they get out, you know, even if it's just to run to the store or something like that. Um, we've done a little bit of change and really it's, it's been mom in the bathroom because he does, he is at the point now where muscle control is starting to go. So it's hard for him to climb in and out of the bathtub shower area of the bathroom. A couple of weeks ago, she took like the, she and Kyle, that's my son, took the doors off of the shower, the glass doors off the shower, um, and just put up a rod and a curtain. And then she got sort of a, a bench chair thing that sits partway in the tub and partway out. That way she can sit him on the bench and kind of swing his legs into the shower to help him bathe. So that's been really, really helpful. But that's basically all the changes that we've made so far. So how is Ashley through all this? <laughs> it's a deep question. I know. It is. Ashley has been on a roller coaster. Um, I went a couple of months ago. I say a couple. Gosh, it's been the end of November. And I actually just wrote a little Facebook post about this. Because <laughs> I, after we finally got mom and dad's house on the market in Alabama, we, we went down there and loaded up a U-Haul and brought all of their stuff up here. That whole like final process with everything in Alabama have been looming for months and months and months, which is fine because my brain will attach to a task and it will focus on that. And that's all that it focuses on. Um, so I had something to occupy my emotions. 
<laughs> so after that was done, I I had nothing but to look at what was in front of me. So it was grief, constant, constant grief. Because it's, I'm sure, very hard to see your parent in that situation. I'm, I can't, I just really can't imagine the things that probably have went through your mind or as women, we tend to run with things far ahead in the future too sometimes and that can stir up emotions and, and it is a loss. Yeah. I mean, daily and anytime you see any significant deteriorations, that's just another like chunk of that person that's being taken away. So as opposed to a sort of a shorter loss, like when someone passes away of old age or there's an accident and somebody's taken from you like that, that grief obviously is very real and it's, it hits you like a ton of bricks. But with dementia, any, any kind of neurological disorder like this, you're losing a little bit of that person like day by day. So my, my dad has been gone for a very long time at this point. Um, so occasionally if he's having a really good day, like if he is on it, (laughs) that during the day, his, some of his old humor will come out and, you know, or he'll laugh at little things or he'll tease L. He makes this little sound with his hands. I don't, I don't even know how to describe it, but it drives Elle crazy. She does not like it. And he was doing that the other day. So sometimes you have these little, these little glimmers of who they were. But for the most part, it's few and far between those moments are. Now, about three weeks ago, we were pretty much just in a state of uproar and panic. So dad had gotten to the point where almost 100% muscle control was gone. He could not get out of the bed. We had to physically pick him up off of the floor to get him to a chair, to get him to a wheelchair. Mom had to feed him because he could not focus long enough to feed himself. And also he was having problems holding his eating utensils. He basically needed 100% support. He could breathe. He could focus on you for a few seconds, but... That was the extent of what was happening. So it was really rough. I mean, it was, it was a seriously rough time period. And, you know, mom, mom and I, we didn't talk about it really till after, because in in those moments, you're just like, what can I do? Like, what do I need to do? You're focused on making sure the person is fed and hydrated and bathed and kept hygienic. And so when he would go to bed at night, it would just be like, we just have to go have our little breakdowns in corners of the house because it just came on so, so suddenly. And we got to the point where we were not sure that 2021 was something that was going to happen at all for dad. So mom um, made the decision to just take dad off of 90% of his medication at that point, because there will come a point and it, it's like this with anybody with a neurological disorder where that medication is not doing a thing, but contributing to the chaos. And that's usually very late stage. Um, I'm not a doctor by any means, but I've read enough about it to know that uh, you will hit a certain point where the medication is not going to do anything and you're just trying to make the person comfortable. Dad's next neurological appointment in Birmingham is not until May. And we were very much concerned that when he goes to this appointment, they're going to tell us that he's not going to make it to the end of the year. And we're going to be very close to the point where we're going to have to put him in a facility to make him comfortable until the end. So mom made the decision to take him off of most of his medications. Two days. It took 48 hours, you guys, for him to make almost a complete turnaround. He went from zero muscle control not being coherent at all. He nothing that came out of his mouth made sense when he made any comment at all. He couldn't feed himself. To 48 hours later, he was back up on his feet. He was still a little bit unsteady, but he was shuffling around the house on his own, was aware enough to know that he needed to go to the restroom even though he still needed help getting there. Um he was feeding himself. He was making, you know, his little jokes and comments. I mean, it was unreal, the change in two days, just from taking him off of most of his medication. 
Of course, mom did reach out to the neurologist when he had taken the big dive down and had told them, here's what's happening. Is this normal? You know, they answered back after like a day or so. It didn't take them long, of course. They were like, this this is not normal for Alzheimer's. You need to take him to an urgent care or something. You need to make sure like he doesn't maybe have an infection that's interfering with the medications and stuff like that. Well, by the time that they had finally answered, mom had already taken him off of his medication for a day. Um, she emailed them back the following day after this like huge turnaround for him and said, hey, here's what I've taken him off. I've kept him on, you know, this and this, you know, basically asking them, can you please advise what I need to do at this point? And they and they said, just keep doing what you're doing. Like, here is what we suggest you do. Um, there are a couple of medications that he probably needs. You need to make sure that he's staying on just because his body can go through withdrawals. It can start causing problems again. Um, but if this other medication is not doing anything and what he's on right now has helped him make that huge turnaround in two days, just stay the course. So I, it was, it blew my mind. It absolutely did. And, you know, we could go on a a whole soapbox about over medication and and things like that, but um, it was absolutely unreal. So the last couple of weeks, I guess he's been back to, I guess, normal level (laughs) before, before the really quick decline. It was um, a very, very scary time period. A lot of emotions and grief just come, you know, it's, it's constant. It really is. It's always there. But those, that like, that week that he was like that. Yeah, I'm sure that was extremely tough. Very much an emotional roller coaster for, for you and for your mom. What a great testament, though to their marriage and their love for each other, for your mom, the example that she's showing through sickness and health that, you know, that vow you take. Um, I just think that's a great example of love for sure for you as well as his daughter. And um, how's your brother doing with this, with being in the air force? He can't be available. Right. You know, as often as he'd like, I'm sure. Yeah. And, and we're very similar in the familial duty aspect of our our brains um it's rough for him to not be available um yeah it is rough on him because he he can't be there to to support but when he is able to be here he was able to come down for thanksgiving so he actually got to see see dad and interact with him um this was a couple of months before the big like the big step back that we had but yeah it's it's rough for him but um, October 2018, Mark had just moved to a base in Pensacola, Florida, <laughs> right when the hurricane came through. So he was on mandatory evac for five or six months. So he was with mom and dad in Alabama for that time period. And I think it helps him get a, a clearer understanding of everything that was going on, the level that dad was at, that kind of thing. Because... <laughs> One of the things about being a worrying child is that whenever mom breaks news, it is a huge step down for us. She sees it every day. It's gradual for her. We don't see it every day. Any update to us is is gigantic. So I think him being able to be there for five, five or six months... Um, really helped him see everything that was going on. And not that mom would purposefully not tell us things. They're just things that would happen that it didn't, she didn't think to tell us. Well, I'm sure even in the beginning, when you first started hearing things, you would be like, oh, maybe mom's overreacting, you know, just naturally. Cause you don't want to believe some of the things that you're hearing probably, you know, I'm, and I'm sure it was good for him to be there and kind of see it and be able to process it more in real time. Yeah. It's tough, I mean, because when you're not there, when you can't see it every day, and then you get the news, it is. it has to be a huge, there's going to be a huge difference. So it's difficult to grasp it. So, uh, you know, I completely can see where he, um, it was good for him to be there for that. And I think it was just orchestrated wonderfully for him to be able to be there for a while to see it. Yeah. So I'm... I'm I know you're. I know he's probably thankful for that, and I'm sure you are too, that he was able to be there for a while. So now, whenever he gets news, now 
maybe it's not that big of a a blow. A blow. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And um, you know, I, I try to keep him up to date, but it seems like by the time I text him about anything, mom's already told him so. <laughs> <laughs> so at least you know, I think it was easier for her, and I'm I'm the same exact way. It was easier for her to isolate herself when they were living in Alabama and Mark and I weren't there. I do the same exact thing, which is what my therapist told me a couple of months ago. I need to stop isolating myself so much. And it's not that I am ashamed of anything. And it's not that I am fearful of what people will think. So it's not that I am um, in, like embarrassed or ashamed of any anything like that. That's just, I've always been that way. Even when I was a little kid. I just heal on my own. Like I need my space and I need to breathe. And I don't want anybody to hug me or wipe my tears or affirm my feelings. I'm a very self-aware person emotionally (laughs) most of the time. Um, So I know that what I'm feeling is real. I just, I tend to isolate myself. And she called on that like super quick. (laughs) You need to socialize. therapists are good about doing, right? She's like, you need to socialize more. And I'm like, I have two best friends. Like what a... And a family. What else do I need? I'm good. Like, that's all the people that I need in my life. But um, I can see it was very easy for mom to do that by herself in Alabama. Working and taking care of dad. And working and taking care of dad. And working and taking care of dad. And not wanting to burden anybody else with news and information. And you just kind of collect all of that in yourself. And it's very, very easy for me to see now especially after the the big final move of stuff to see what's in front of me every single day and to deal with that. So it's easy to see how it would have affected mom. And this is her husband. (laughs) This is her husband. And she's dealing with this on a daily basis completely by herself for almost seven years. That's huge. It's huge. So, yeah, it was very eye-opening. You know, I knew you... You know, you always know, right? I get it. Like, it's it's hard, but you don't get it till it's in your face. Yeah. You see it every day. You don't even know. Yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah, nobody knows what happens in your home, right? You can tell everybody what's going on, but until you actually see it yourself, you don't really know it. Right. And so I could, I could definitely see that. Your eyes have been open to a lot of things since September. Absolutely. Actually, we are so thankful that you came on and shared your story. I know that it's not an easy thing to do. We hope that for any of you out there listening that hear this story, if you're in that same place, just know that you're not alone. There are others out there. And I think that's maybe what your therapist was saying to you, actually, is <laughs> maybe secluding yourself, which is, which is kind of your defense mechanism. Yeah, right? definitely. It's, it's how you, it's how you work. It's, uh, I'm not a psychologist at all or a therapist, but. Nor do you play one on TV. <laughs> I spent a lot of time in Holiday Inn Express. I knew, knew that was coming. <laughs> but I, I could see that because yeah. isolation is easy to get into. It really is. Because, Especially if you're an introvert. Oh yeah. Well, also it's. You're cutting off all of that input, sensory input, emotional input. You're already overwhelmed. So it's easy to like close that door and not allow anything else in. Like this is as much as I can handle at the moment. So I need to shut everything else out so I can process all of this. Got to crock pot it. Yep, absolutely. (laughs) I'm sitting with two crock pots. (laughs) I get it though. I totally, I totally do. So, Ashley, what could you offer up to any listener that might be going through something, maybe not a similar situation, but but something that is, you know, grief can be a broad spectrum of different reasons and or in a situation while watching a parent age go through anything, you know, similar to your situation. What could you offer to them? I would say, I think definitely seeing a licensed therapist would be a good step for most people because at the very least you need to find healthy ways to deal with all of that because you can put it in a box all day long, but you're not, you're not dealing with, with any of it. And that's just going to make it fester and grow and 
then you're going to be crying at your desk at work all day. Mm-hmm. And it's not, it's not fun at all. It's very, a very dark place to be in. So I, I think definitely if, if you're open to that kind of guidance to find somebody you can talk to professionally, anything really, just to help you deal with those emotions. So what, what would you offer to a caregiver after watching your mom uh, take care of your dad through these different transitions over the last seven years of what would, what advice would you offer from someone on the outside watching that? I definitely would say that if you have family and or friends in the area that are emotionally supportive of you, you need to communicate with them. You definitely need to let them know what's going on. Uh, maybe not, maybe not a daily basis, but you know, every few days, keep in touch with everyone and you got to have a team around you. You can't do it by yourself. And if you're having to, I feel, I feel for you. I really do like in my heart of hearts, because it's not, it's not easy at all. Find a support team, find a support team, because that's, what's going to keep you mentally and physically healthy so that you can keep your charge mentally and physically healthy. That's very good. It's very good. You know, oftentimes you hear the term or the, the saying, say it takes a village to raise a child. I was thinking the exact same thing. Yeah. But you're, you're in the same boat there. Yeah. When you're a caregiver, it takes, it takes a village. It really does. It takes a team. You, you said it as a team to be able to be supportive, to help get what you need, to help make sense of it all. Thank you so much for sharing with us, Ashley, and can't encourage you guys enough to just lean in with each other, take it day by day, not run ahead, enjoy those little moments that come, you know, little glimpses you get of dad and hold on to the good memories that you have. And that way that I know that's what he would want you to remember. Just thank you so much for sharing with us today. It's happy to. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Let's lighten it up a little. Yes. Good. (laughs) So we asked all of our guests this one question, and I know that you've listened, so I know you know the question. If Ashley is sitting on a patio, where would that patio be? And who would you like to have on that patio? And it can be anyone from past or present. Fantasy, real life, whatever you want to dream up with your patio. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I do love the mountains, but I've never seen a very... Very, very big mountain. So I would say the patio would have to be at the base of something in Denver or in Sweden, something where I can walk out and look at it and just be completely awestruck by what I'm looking at. Um, who would I want to talk to? I've been stewing over this one for a couple of days. It's not easy. But um, both of Chris's grandfathers passed away before I met either of them. Um, his grandfather on his mom's side passed away when he was four. And then his grandfather on his dad's side passed away right when we first started dating in high school. So I would love to sit and talk with them because I never got to meet them, hear their stories. Um, I just think that would be pretty cool. I'm sure there'd be some good stories there from the generations that Probably. they grew up in. Right. Definitely. Hearing a couple of old guys tell stories, I mean, it's really good. Seriously, it <laughs> yeah. is. You know, yeah. I mean, honestly. Um, again, thank you for coming on, Ashley. We certainly appreciate it. Absolutely. So, guys, that was my awesome friend, Ashley, sharing her heart and her journey that she's in right now. She definitely did not ask for or ever anticipate a happening, period, but especially at such a young age for her father and for herself. Yeah, I totally agree. It was the first time I got to meet Ashley, and I'm so thankful that I did get to meet her and spend time with her during this interview. And yeah, it's a tough subject. It's it it's not an easy subject. It's not one that we take lightly. It's not one that we can say, wow, we hope you enjoyed our episode. It's one that we sit back and go, you know, watching your parents' health deteriorate or any loved one for that matter, it just, it really sucks. Let's just call it for what it is. It's not a pleasant thing for anyone to experience or no one that you would want anyone to experience, but it is life. And, um, 
I, I think when we face hardships in life, it's true character comes out during adversity, right? I'm sure we've all heard that before. And I think just listening to Ashley's story and her family, how they really just unconditionally love the patriarch of the family and they have rallied together to make his days the best they can be. Yeah. And also helping the matriarch. Yeah. Definitely coming alongside and saying, hey, mom, we're here for you. We're in this together. Let's be a team. Let's be a village of people and let's love him together and and love each other through this. And, you know, take the good days for what they are and take the bad days for what they are. But just to know that they're there for one another. So I think if we take anything positive out of today's episode is that family rallies around each other and takes care of one another. And it's such a beautiful story of that happening. Yes. And and again, as I said in the intro, unconditional love as a spouse, really holding true to that vow of through sickness and through health. And sure, it happened much earlier than they would have ever dreamed. But it's, you know, a great example of that from her mom. And I don't know if her mom's listening, but kudos to both of you and your husband raising great children. I don't know your son, but if he's Anything like his sister, he's pretty awesome. Very good. Very good. So, folks, on the patio, when you sit outside, what happens? You hear dogs. You hear airplanes. You can hear helicopters. You can hear other things going on. Uh, So, that happens on our patio, too. So, you're probably going to hear that. You've probably heard that in this episode. And that's just a patio. That's what happens. And you just roll with it. Cindy, do you got a verse for us? I do. This week's verse is Psalm 73, 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Strength of my heart. Yes. If you're feeling weak, lean into him. Let him be your strength. And if you guys are experiencing anything relatable to today's episode, it may not look the exact same, but if you're experiencing any type of grief or depression or in a situation where you're a caregiver and you're tired and you're exhausted seek out for that support team seek out a licensed counselor to help you through it and be willing to accept help when it's offered yeah i think that's very hard for a lot of us to do i think so just part of being human i think it is so if you guys would like to continue this discussion we would invite you to go to facebook and go to our patio talk podcast discussion group you can find us there you can also follow us on our instagram and twitter at patio talk pod or you could join us on our website at patiotalkpod.net we could continue the conversation so once again folks thank you for listening to patio talk podcast we are certainly appreciative of your time so enjoy your day evening night morning whenever it is you're listening to this podcast thanks so much that's a wrap see you later